Good morning, everyone. You made it. Wasn't sure, right? If we have, what is it, like spring back? Is that right? No, spring forward. I'm sorry. I, did I mess that up? Spring forward, right? That's it. Wasn't sure who was going to make it, but you made it. God bless you. Um, it's appropriate for what today's sermon is about because we're talking about seasons, and I think we're a week away from the official spring season. Uh, we are obsessed with time. We write books about time. We make movies about time. Time Traveler's Wife. I'm not sure if you've ever seen Back to the Future. Anybody? Back to the Future? All right. Uh, uh, Infinity Wars Endgame, anybody? That's also about time travel, a little bit, right? Or the most recent one, Ant-Man and Quantumania. We are obsessed with time. We write about it. We experience it in art. We also experience it as a resource that's precious that we can never get back. We know that's how we think about time, how we relate to time as a tool that's scarce, right? So we try to maximize it. We invest it. We realize that we, we can't get it back. So we, if we can't stretch it, we stretch ourselves, right? We burn the midnight oil. We multitask and so on because you understand that time is scarce. Or one of the more fascinating discoveries, in my opinion, when it comes to time is that time itself has had a starting point, right? It's not just that it, it, went, off in, it went on infinitely in history. No, time had a starting point as, as well as the universe, right? So for Christians, this is incredible, I think, because it means that whatever caused the universe was timeless, non-spatial, and immaterial. It wasn't matter. It turns out that time also bends relative to mass and the gravitational force of an object. Okay, I'm going to stay in my lane, right? Like, now I'm talking about things that are beyond my expertise. But it's fascinating, right? You can bend time. The point is, with our obsession with time travel, time as a resource, and time as a part of creation, you and I generally think of it as something that is external to us or something that doesn't really affect us. It's, for the most part, our experience of it is a, a tool that we use, just something to help us get things done. But what if we were made for time and eternity? What if we are creatures that inhabit time, made for eternity? Today we conclude our series that we've, been, that we've been in since the beginning of this year called Made for This as we look at various things for which God has made us. And we conclude by asking, what does it mean to be creatures of time and eternity? How does it affect us, right? How does that shape our lives and our experience in this world? And we're going to look at two things. The first, it means that we experience seasons we cannot control. To be a creature of time means we experience seasons we cannot control. We're not sure who wrote the, uh, this book that, or the passage that we're about to read, um, it could be King Solomon, but there are also compelling reasons to believe that it was someone else. But I love this particular passage because the author is real about the human experience. It's like he takes a step back and he looks at all the things that happen under the sun. He looks at all the things that goes on on earth and he wrestles with how meaningless it all appears. How it seems devoid of purpose. And you might be like, that's in the Bible? Yes, that's in the Bible. It's honest, it's real, it's raw. He talks about how it all seems senseless. Or, if it's not meaningless, it's all like a mist, it's a vapor, it's temporary. And in that regard, it also feels like somewhat meaningless. If it's a vapor and it's a mist that vanishes, we can't hold on to it, right? We can't hold on to any of these experiences. We can't hold on to time. And that's not the only thing we can't control. Let's go ahead and read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. It's on the back of your bulletin here. 
There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So what he's basically telling us here is that life consists of seasons. And he's not telling us that there's a season for each specific thing in our individual lives. It's not what he's saying. For example, there's not a time for us in all of our lives where there's a time to kill. No, that's not the case, right? right? And it doesn't mean that there's a time for all of us to engage in war. It's not what he's talking about. He's taking a step back and looking at human history. He's looking at the human experience and realizes that there is a season for every single one of these things. And as he talks about a time for killing, it's, it's likely a reference to the time for war that he mentions. And that's that's why afterwards he says a time to tear down and a time again to rebuild whatever is there, right? So he's talking about seasons, not specific points in time. It might have a culmination, okay? It might culminate in something, but it's, it, it's also stretched out. For example, those who have ever lost a loved one in your life, you know a time for mourning isn't a reference to a minute for mourning. Okay, now it's a time for mourning or a month of mourning. We go through seasons of mourning. And sometimes it happens for the rest of our lives when we hit that anniversary again and we remember the loss of a loved one in our lives. A time to die might sound like a specific moment in time, but it also could reference a season where you realize things are drawing to a close and you have to begin to let go. And what's critical here is not just that life consists of seasons, but these are things that are out of our control. We can't control the things that are mentioned here. And that's why he talks later, look at verse 9, after describing all of these things, look at what he, his reflection on these things. He describes how much of a burden it is. Verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. As he reflects on all the seasons of life, it seems like he's now taking a break before he gets to, he makes everything beautiful in his time. It seems like he's, he's kind of interjecting there with something else, but it's related. He looks at all these things and he says, what a burden, right? And most of it is because you can't control it. God makes everything beautiful in his time. He set eternity in our hearts, but no one can fathom who rules the seasons, what he has done from beginning to end. What the author wants us to know is that the seasons of life because a becomes a burden to us when we realize it's out of our hands. These are seasons we cannot control. Think about it again. Look at the first two that he mentions. A time to be born and a time to die. Can you control the time to be born? No, you can't, right? I mean, it, immediately he sets the course of what this is going to be like. 
Even if you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're planning to have a child, you, you might have a, a predicted date of when your date of delivery is, but you don't know when that baby is going to be born and all the things that are going to come into, into that season. And the same, similarly, we don't know when we are going to die. These are things that are outside of our control. But that's not all. Think about it. How many of us can say, when it comes to these things, if you look at it as just a moment in time, how many of us can look at our calendar and say, okay, I'll do a little bit of weeping at thir- on Thursday at 1 o'clock, and then from 2 to 3, I'll do some dancing, right, because there's a time to dance. That's not what he's talking about. Dancers maybe might do that. 2 to 3, you might decide to dance. But for most of us, we realize these aren't things that we can control. If only we could. This morning, someone probably asked you, how was your week? I remember in the last church uh, I was pastoring, I asked the guy while he was getting coffee, I was like, hey man, how was your week? It was before the service, and he had this look on my face like, can I just get my coffee before he asked me like, to reflect on my week? Because it's a blur, like where do I start? Like there are times where people ask me, how was my week? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, how was my week? Like, like what on earth like, even happened this week? I can't even remember. But most of the time you think about maybe what you felt. I was happy, I was sad. And it's likely in response to things that were outside of your control. Oh, man, it was such a rough week. I was assigned a project and barely given any time to do it. Like, out of nowhere, my boss wanted me to do it. Or this thing just fell on my desk. Or, like, I have this new thing to study for, this new, you know. It's something that's out of your control. I want to study, but people kept barging in. Or my neighbor started to play loud music, and I've been miserable all week. Or it was a great week. The meeting I had with a friend, much, uh, a friend went much better than planned. Or I had a burst of creativity and focus all of a sudden, and I actually got my work done, and I was able to enjoy my weekend for the first time in a long time. A friend I've been praying for got some really good news from the doctor. You think about just this week when somebody asks you, how was your week? You generally think about it in terms of how you responded to the things that were outside of your control, and that's one week. Now think about the seasons of your life. When you take week after week after week and you put it all together and you realize you often cannot control the season that you're in. You think about how you felt and you realize it's largely things that happen to you. And all those things, it's not that we don't have any control. You can make choices that can launch you into a certain trajectory or that can launch you into a season. But what I'm trying to say is that once you enter that season, you're going you're gonna to be confronted again and again with circumstances and pe- other people's choices that you can't control. For example, yes, we decided to plant together New Hope Church. But that launched us into a season and then we confronted things that were outside of our control. We didn't know where we were going to gather as a church. We didn't know that the pandemic was waiting for us, right? Like, and I know that that's like, okay, well, like that happens every 100 years or 150 years, but that's an example that you can make a choice that could launch you into a season because of your choice, but even then you confront things that are outside of your control. You decided to quit your job and go, to, go for a new job. That was your decision, sure, but now you're in a season of life and the things that you experience are things that you can't control. You have to deal with other people's choices. You have to deal with circumstances that you cannot control. So let's just pause for a moment. This is what I want us to do, okay? How would you describe the season that you're in now? In that sense, when you think about the season you're in, what, what time is it? What's it like to be in this season? Now, there are a couple approaches that, that we have when it comes to being in certain seasons of life. When you realize, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a season of waiting, 
or I'm in a season of mourning, or I'm in a season of whatever, however you would fill in this blank. I'm in, I'm in a season of what, right? However you would fill in the blank. There's a couple of approaches that we take to the seasons of our lives. One is we're never present. There's some who approach seasons with haste. You just can't wait to get to the next one, right? Like you can't move on to whatever the next season is because you, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, well, whether it's good or bad. You just you can't sit still. You're always thinking about the next thing. Like I look at our kids sometimes and I'm like, I can't wait for our youngest, River. He's 11 months. I can't wait for him to walk. And Jyoti's like, no, like, don't, don't, we, don't, don't teach him how to walk. I'm like, we got to teach him how to walk, honey. Like, we can't, you know, because she, she gets it. Like, once he starts walking, it's going to take a lot of energy. And then I know what happens when he's walking. I'm like, I can't wait till he gets out of the house, you know? No, I'm kidding. I, I love, love our kids. We're always looking forward to the next thing, right? We can't be present, even if it's a good season. Or you're not present in another way because of what uh, Brene Brown calls foreboding joy. Like, even if it's a good season, you might be so used to heart, heartbreak in your life where you're like, things are too good. That means it's about, something's about to break, right? Like, there's some tragedy or some crisis around the corner. Like, I can't enjoy this right now because I'm not used to things being so good. Like, you just can't, you're not present. You can't enjoy it as a gift because you're thinking about what's ahead. So either way, you're not fully present in the season. Here's another, and this is, I think, specific to our relationship with God. We experience guilt for the season we're in. Yeah, you might have made some choices to be in the situation you're in now, but there are a lot of things now that you've been thrusted into the season, things that are outside of your control. And what I mean in, when it comes to what my, uh, your relationship with God is, there have been seasons in my life where I realize, man, God seems distant, and I'm trying. Like, I am trying to seek him. I'm trying to, to hear from him. I'm trying to experience him. But it's just silence on the other side. And there was a time in my life where I felt guilt for the season that I was in. I must be doing something wrong. Like, I'm not turning the dials in the way that I need to turn it so that I could somehow manipulate God to give me the experience that I want, right? Like, I don't treat him as a person. Like, I'm responsible for the season. And some of you experience seasons in that way. You bear the burden and, and the weight of the season that you're in as it relates to your relationship with God. You don't see that this is going to pass. Yes, God, you might not be able to sense God and his nearness, but you're, you're not necessarily the one to be blamed for it. And God is still the God of this season as well. He's in control of it as well. And some of you need to know that. That's not all because of something you're doing. Guilt for this season, this season we're in. Other times we feel despair for the season we're in. So unlike those who know, oh, I can't wait to get to the new one next season because I know another one's coming. Unlike those who know another season is coming, some of you experience your current season as something that'll never end. So you have despair, wondering if it'll ever change. Will it end? Will it always be this way? Will I always feel the way that I do? Will I ever be healed? Will I ever be, will I always be alone? Will I ever find peace? Why isn't God bringing me into a new season? Like, why doesn't this chapter of my life end? Why does he allow these things to continue? I love the way that one author, David Gibson, put it in his book, Life Live Backwards. This is in a commentary that he writes on Ecclesiastes. He writes, part of being wise in this world is learning to accept that we have only very limited access to the big picture. To be sure, we often want to access it, for God has put eternity into man's heart. 
But the point is that we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. God is not being unkind to us by not sharing it. The point is that we are not built to understand the big picture precisely because we live in time and God does not. If we could see the end from the beginning and understand how a billion lives and a thousand generations and unspeakable sorrows and untold joys are all woven into a tapestry of perfect beauty, then we would be God. This means that part of growing up in the world is learning to grow small. God intends us to be like children who trust their parents to know best because they cannot see, because they can see what the children can't see. And they know what the children are not yet able to know. So we're like children who are able to control and understand the big picture the way that God does. I mean, think about the things that he mentioned. Billions of stories sorrows and joys, hopes and dreams, the way that we're interconnected, right? The way that our stories affect one another and how God weaves all of this together into some sort of beautiful picture and tapestry. We cannot understand all of this, these things, nor, nor is God obligated to explain them to us. But it doesn't mean that we still can't learn something. This last Monday, about 13 pastors from the network that were in Acts 29 came here to New York to fast and pray for our church and for our city. I mean, we have pastors here from Maine and New Hampshire, Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Massachusetts, praying for you, for us as a community and for our city. And I, have, I was so encouraged by their prayers. I told them about my plan later this summer to go on a sabbatical, a really brief sabbatical, and one of them, his name is Mike Sullivan, shared his blog with me, a blog that he wrote when he went on his sabbatical, some reflections that helped him as well. And so I read it, and in it he quotes a, an author, Mike Buchanan, uh, from a book he wrote called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. I'm just trying to give credit where it's due, okay? This is not my, all right, it's not from me. It's from a pastor who read a book, and I read his blog, okay? We good? All right. So I'm going to tell you what was really helpful about uh, what he shared with me. He talks about our different approaches to time. When it's called chronos or chronos, and it's like where we get the word chronological, it's about like managing and keeping time, right? The way you think about something being chronological. And then he talks about kairos, a chronos or chronos and kairos, which is what kairos is that time is pregnant with purpose, okay? That there's a purpose behind it. Most of us approach time by asking, what time is it? At some point, you might look at these broken clocks. We do it on purpose so you don't like, <laughs> you don't know what time it is, right? You look at what time is it, right? Like right after this, I've got a meeting, I've got a lunch, and then I've got something else to do. And time is a tool that you, that you use to get things done. We are ruled by our calendars. When somebody wants to hang out with you this week, you can be like, all right, let me open my calendar. Let me see what I got in May, okay? Because you're booked, because you are busy. We finish a task and we move on to the next event. That's the way we orient around time. That's, that's the first way to, to approach it. But when it comes the seasons, learning to live as a creature of time is not about asking, what time is it? It's asking, what is this time for? It's a difference. It's kairos. This time is pregnant with purpose. So what's it for? The season of waiting. The season of weeping. The season of toil. The season of rest. What is this season of obscurity for, God? The season of notoriety, the season of abundance, or the season of scarcity. 
When you approach the season itself as something that just needs to get done, just like everything else on your to-do list, you miss something critical about the way that God has formed us. Time doesn't exist just for us to get something done. It's pregnant with purpose. It's not just about asking what time is it. It's asking what is this time for? What am I supposed to discover here, God? So you complete the sentence. I'm currently in a season of what? Now ask yourself, as you think about that, the season you're in, what is this time for? I'm going to pause. What's it for? There's a saying. Life has lived forwards, but understood backwards. Oftentimes, we don't understand the full picture until we look back in hindsight and we see what it is that God was doing. And so a lot of times in the midst of it, even if the, the darkness doesn't lift, even if the season isn't, you're not moving beyond the season in the way that you, you need to or you want to, right? Part of understanding God's purpose is paying attention to what's happening in you in the season that you're in. What fears are coming out? What anxiety is, is God exposing? What idols is he exposing? The things that you worship and you trust more than you wor worship and trust God. But the point is you may not be able to control the season or even fully understand it. <laughs> How it all works in God's great plan, but there's still something to discover here. And that leads us to the second thing, and this is going to be a little bit more brief. It's not just about discovering a reason, it's about discovering a person. To be a creature of time and eternity, not only do we experience seasons outside of our control, we also learn to trust God who is in control. Let's read verses 9 through 14 together. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. Now get this. God does it so that people will fear him. It's the purpose of everything that we've read. Like, I know, I, I know that this doesn't sound very empowering, right? Like, if, if point one is you can't control it, like, okay, thanks. I feel like I'm, I'm empowered to go and live my life now. But this is supposed to be empowering because it's supposed to direct our eyes to God, to fear him. Tells us to purpose all of this, knowing that it's beyond our control, is to have us look to God and trust the one who is in control. He stamped eternity in our hearts, and we can't understand the big picture. We don't know it all. We feel our mortality, even though we long for immortality. And so what do we do? We seek to do whatever we can in this season. We work. We find joy. We pursue it in the things that God has given us in our work and our relationships. But even this is a gift that God gives. He's in control of this as well. And this should be empowering when you realize this point. If it's God's gift to give, if he's in control of the season, then what we can do beyond all of those things, right, along with pursuing joy in what he's given us, is to look to him and ask him to lead us and guide us in this season. 
to sustain us, to speak to us, to shape us, to mold us. We feel our limits here, and we should. We should feel our limits, but that should lead us to action, to fear God, to look to him in humility and trust. So there are so many things that are outside of our control in this season. But you say, Lord, you are still God of this season, and you know what this time is for. There's so many eternal longings that you have that you cannot fulfill, but Lord, you can fulfill it, God. Verse 14 says, God has done it all so that we may fear him. In other words, our inability, our uncertainty about how it all makes sense, and our limits should lead us to the Lord. Is this season doing that for you? When you think about the season that you're in, have you taken a step back and said, and, and concluded, God has done it so that I may fear him? He's given me eternal longings that I cannot fulfill in this world. He's put me in a season that I cannot control. Yeah, I might have done things that, and made me launch into this season, but now there are so many things that are beyond me, and now that I can control it, he is the God of the season, and I'm in it so that I may learn to fear him. Have you come to that conclusion? In his book, Sensing Jesus, Zach Eswine talks about how Jesus mentors us to consider time as a gift that God gives us so that we may behold him. This is what he writes, similar to uh, what Mike Buchanan wrote as well, or Mark Buchanan. He writes, clock time manages minutes, subdues tasks, and accomplishes the most in the shortest amount of time to make much of being efficient and of making achievements. Losing minutes is a waste of clock time. But Jesus seems to desire that our view of time be converted. For Jesus, time is something that has a fulfillment. This means that time belongs to something beyond it. It has been set apart as a means of revealing God to us. He continues, clock time is a constant reminder that we are not where we want to be, achieving what we were meant to achieve. But time, as Jesus sees it, is not designed to drive us into what we want but cannot get to. For him, Time is a gift that we are given by which we learn to locate the otherwise unapparent presence of God. Clock time teaches us to assert, get moving, make something happen. Jesus', Jesus time calls us to listen, receive, pay attention, and learn from God. What we are seeking is already here. Every act of time is a revealing of his presence, even if he sits with us but quietly. Every act of time is a revealing of his presence, even if he sits with us quietly. So don't rush past the season. And don't despair. Because even here, there's someone to discover. He's with us. He sits with us. You may say, Jason, how do you know that in this time that he sits with us? Well, didn't he remain with us in our darkest hour? I mean, isn't that why we are here? especially if you're a Christian, you're here because you, your testimony is that he sat with you in your darkest hour. Didn't he come to us? Not when we were in the light, but when we were in darkness and he remained with us in our darkest hour. At any moment he could have left. At any moment while we were nailing to a, him to a cross, he could have abandoned us and he would have been perfectly justified because we wanted nothing to do with him. That was our story. But our God is a God who chose to stay with us in the darkness. To sit with us in the darkness so that he could absorb it and defeat it and deliver us from it. He 
chose to stay. In the darkest hour of human history, facing the cross, he chose to stay. So why wouldn't he wait with you now? He may be invisible to you. You might not be able to sense him, and you may be longing for the season to be over, but how does the cross of Jesus Christ mentor you to see the unapparent, otherwise unapparent presence of God? How does it mentor you to believe that he sits with you even here in this dark season of your life? Perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 discovers the secret of being content in the seasons that are outside of his control. He writes in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, because of the presence and power of Jesus Christ, I can make it and endure any season of life. He doesn't say, I know why I'm in a season of hunger or a season of plenty, a season of abundance or a season of need. It's, I know who's with me. He's learned to discover a person. Because he has an eye for Jesus, he finds strength in the seasons that are outside of his control. And we can too. Even if we can't travel through time or stretch it or multiply it or control it and manipulate it, we can look to God who sits with us in the seasons that we're in.